Welcome to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. Yate, I hope you all are in a good place. I'm good and just grateful to many of you that have reached out and shared with me how these stories have been helpful, inspiring, informational. That's the purpose of this, is to share that medicine. And it is good medicine. So thank you, Ahiaha. Today's guest is a friend of mine. He's also by clan my grandfather, my Che. And I have known him for about two decades through friends and uh, recently reconnected about two years ago. And I'm really excited to introduce to you all Mr. Earl Tooley. He also is a Diné member of the Navajo Nation and originally hails from the Central Reservation community of Blue Gap, Arizona. His heart, his passion, his work that is in different places. He has done a lot of work in the environmental justice area. His concerns are related to indigenous food, energy, and water sovereignty, and as definitely a collaborator uh, on different fronts with environmental researchers, filmmakers, activists, funders, and has put in 30, over 30 years with the Navajo Nation Housing Authority. He also ran for vice president of the Navajo Nation in 2010 and has sits on different uh, boards and also is an interpreter for an English in different settings, such as public and private matters. He has three daughters and currently resides on the Navajo Reservation, where he tends to his fruit trees and gardens using traditional dry and drip farming techniques. Welcome, Earl. So glad you can be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am doing wonderful and um, very, very interested as to how this particular session is going to come out. So um, you never know with questions being asked and then also with the um, um, interaction that we will have. So it will have its own evolution. Mm, thank you, Ayahat, for being willing to spend some time away from your loved ones and your chores at home to <laughs> to hear uh, to be here and to share your wisdom and just your story and uh, so I just want to thank you for that. So I gave folks a little bit about who you are uh, and how we've known each other and I would love for you to share with folks a little bit about who Earl is and. Um, how you came to be the person that you are today, because I know that you are a father and you are a relative in many forms to other folks in your life. So please share a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, and, and, and so in doing this, I, I, you know, I was just recollecting this and then just basically thinking, you know, what, what would people want to know about this individual? Uh, many may have not ever met me, but they're going to be um, basically interested in the program and then also the following that you have and then this interesting topic. So let me start off with uh, my particular birth and then instructions given to me and then pretty much how I was um, 
was was raised as a um, a male individual in a family setting, as a child, as an adolescent, as an adult, and now as a grandfather. And, um, you know, once you're a child, you're always a child to your mother. And I'll get a little bit into that a little later on, but um, uh, that that's something that I have, and I just want to share that with you. So um, I'll just go ahead and get started and basically just let the audience know that upon my particular birth and my first breath, um, I was greeted by uh, by the clan, the matriarchal clan. You know, they had prayers, and then as they also had songs to welcome me in as uh senior patriarchs and matriarchs. Uh, basically, uh, I was washed in the uh, traditional manner with a- at the ash pit during the winter. And um, I have survived 62 winters. And um, that, that's really important for, for, for me as an individual to understand that uh, that particular method of birthing and that particular method of um, delivery uh, basically is probably going to go against the, uh, the, the, the health, uh, you know, uh, individuals who oversee the health of birthing children more than likely would be considered child abuse nowadays. And my mom would end up being in, the, in jail and different things of that nature. But that was tradition. The higher law was uh, one that was created by the uh, holy people and, the, uh, and then the earth maker. And so that was something that was accepted. And uh, that was the practice then. So my earliest, could you tell folks a little bit about what that means? The the ashing uh, when you came into this world, because we do have some listeners who are not Dene, who are not from the Navajo tribe, and um, I'm sure they would be curious about what is that? What does that mean? And so basically, what it means is is that the women folk would basically uh, deliver a child in the shaft sash belt that they do have, uh, that would play a, an integral part in that aspect of it. And they want you to anchor uh, this particular child, this particular band, this particular individual that is going to be walking upon the surface of the earth. They want them anchored to this land. And then washing individuals at the ash uh, pit, uh, basically that is to, um, you know, to, to, to uh, not necessarily make them strong physically, but basically have the perseverance of of, of having this um, journey that's going to be starting at an early age, um, you know, upon birth, is, is that they would have uh, the ability to sustain themselves as an individual. And as a child that you're born as a child, then basically what would happen, and my earliest recollection is when the child is born, then individuals in there will say, you know, what is the uh, clan of this individual? And my particular clan is Tatnesani, which parallels Hanagani. In that sense, you would be my granddaughter. And so in that aspect of it, you know, as I was born, I was a grandfather. I was a father. I was a relative uh, in some instance uh, having a particular role. And... Um, and, and I would be greeted by the clan in that fashion. I could be a Che, I could be a Nale, I could be a Yezhi, I could be a Tna'ash. And um, those particular concepts of Keh is what anchors us. And while growing up, you know, we were always instructed, um, 
I never did ask, could you give me a DNA chart as to how I became a Tutnus Sunni? You know, parents tell you that you're Tutnus Sunni, that is it. That's all you need to know. And uh, there's no further documentation that's going to be needed. My paternal clan is Tohetlini or Nakaidane. They are the same as well, and they are my fathers. And so growing up, you know, I, I knew everybody as mom and, uh, you know, my, my, my mom, Shema, and then I had um, um, children, you know, individuals that would be older than me, individuals that would be older than me. They would be, they would be greeting me as a father, as a grandfather. Um, and so this was something that was really, really important because it gave me a vital role of uh, not necessarily in the concept of early childhood development or anything of that nature, because Navajo childhood development is totally, totally different than Maslow, Sigmund Freud, and some of these other psychologists that are out there, such as Carl Rogers. Ours is that we have an anchor. We already have a base upon the day of our birth. The first breath that we take, we are greeted and basically delivered as a child of the holy people. And um, as such, you know, we, we always have Mother Earth as our mother. And then Father, uh, Father Sky or the Son, Ketra, that would always be our particular parent. So we never were orphans in that sense. And so in that sense, um, you know, I have my biological mother and my father, but I also have the clan community that I can look up to. And uh, from that instance, you know, my motherland is in Blue Gap. You know, where my matriarchs have lived forever and a day, and they still do. You know, my oldest aunt um, is 100, year, uh, 100 years, and uh, my mom is 97. My youngest aunt is 95. Wow. And we don't say years, but we do say winters, because winters, if, if you survive a winter, that, that is a season that you have passed. And so they are in that sense, my oldest aunt is 100 winters. And um, that kind of gives you some, you know, th those are some of the notches that you have in your in your particular year, uh, And that's something that is really important because it's something that signifies that um, you're in the season and you live within the season. And so as a child, you know, you're you're in the spring of your season. As an adolescent, you are in the summer of your season. As you become an adult, you are in the autumn of your season. And so being 62 and being a, you know, a grandparent now, I'm in the winter of my season and not am I designated a, a grandfather because of age, but because the winter has set on my head. I have uh, gray hair now, white hair that's showing through. That tells me that winter has set upon me. Thereby, I'm in the winter of my years. And um, the birth home that I have in Blue Gap, the birth Hogan, it's still there. It's faded, it's weathered, but I'm still anchored to the land, the motherland with my umbilical cord, which was buried there. And home is always in my rear view mirror, but in the forefront of my mind. And I want to share, um, the, the, the idea of, of what a father is. Mm. I understand and I have been at the birth of all my children. I can tell you when they were born, what time it was, what day it was. And um, those are some of the items that I have to recollect and, and share with my um, 
with my daughter. So my first, my eldest born, Isis, was, you know, mama went into labor on Sunday afternoon, and my youngest, uh, my oldest daughter was born at seven o'clock uh, the following morning, which was Monday. And then my middle daughter was basically born um, while mama was en route to uh, to um, complete her graduate school. And so um, she gave birth, and Nikki uh, was born in Tuba City. Again, it was Sunday, uh, early Sunday morning um, that we traveled. And um, by Monday morning, uh, she was born right about 7.30. And Monique was born in Fort Defiance. And uh, her particular birth was unique in a sense that um, she was delivered by a midwife. And um, it was Sunday again, and and I remember her birth, and I was sharing with her the other day, June 8th, because there was a reggae concert, uh, concert in Hopi Land, and I was saying, okay, come on, hurry up, have a baby, and then I can go to the 7 o'clock reggae show, and I'll be reggae in a, in a Hopi Land. And um, their particular names and, and, and the time that they were born, I will always, always remember that. Um, just as my mother and my father recognized when I was born. And, and as a child, you love hearing the stories mm. of um, when you were born, who was present, and what was happening, what day it was. Those are, you know, hallmarks mm -hmm. and mile markers for me to carry on because my grandchildren now, basically, I've been very fortunate to be at, you know, being the presence of them uh, upon their birth. And now I can recollect when they were born as well and um, some of the um, discussions that were being had. And then now with the advent of smartphones, uh, we probably have a picture of uh, my grandchildren every day of their life since they started, uh, you know, five years ago to the youngest at a year on May 12th. And so uh, we, we have had a good chronology of them. But at the same time, I'm also writing. Um, to them individually, too. I have a little journal telling them a little bit about this is what I see, um, when they walk, when they laugh. Um, and then, of course, if you're a mom and dad, you say, well, did you hear that? You know, baby said mama or ba uh, baby said daddy or uh, baby said Chase. You always remember some of those items and some of the, uh, the first laughs and, you know, those are some of the celebrations that you have. And so in Navajo, basically, the first laugh, is it's not really a ha-ha, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a giggle in a sense. Um, but we counted up, you know, kind of like a three-pointer, close enough, that's a three-point, so let, let's go with that. <laughs> and we celebrate that first laugh, and we want them to be charitable. That's why we celebrate. We want them to be open with their, um, you know, with, with the possessions that you may have. They may yes. be able to you know, feed the clan. They may be able to give up their means to their family and, and, and their individual uh, travelers in this particular life. We want them to have that. So that's what gratitude we show. But one of the areas that I, you know, as I mentioned is, is that home is always in the rear view mirror. Mm -hmm. um, but I will return home, you know, at a time um, when you had parents and, and my parent, grandparents were pretty much the same as well. Uh, in Navajo, men and women, they, they separate and they have their own individual living quarters. And it, it, it's not to separate the union of, uh, uh, of, of their particular role as husband and wife, but 
in, in a sense of their responsibility of teaching. So now I go into the realm of teaching. And so now I have to have um, a particular place to teach some of these concepts. And so uh, what better place to uh, share some of those than to be able to share the experience of where I heard sheep, where the horse trails are, climb the wash, climb the hills. Those same hills that I climbed in my youth are going to be the same hills that is going to be greeting my, my grandchildren. So I want them to know where they come from. I don't want them to say that I'm homeless or I'm landless, that there is no way that an individual should be uh, you know, saying that of themselves, especially if they are Navajo, because wherever your motherland is, that is home. And I will spend the winter of my season there. Um, and, and, you know, I'm making such preparations now of, of, of doing that to be able to greet uh, the seasons, and then also to uh, greet the um, events that will be coming forth when my granddaughter becomes a woman, and having that uh, puberty ceremony, and having that come out. Uh, you know, I want to have that place ready for them. It's going to come by quick. Yeah. You know, life it, it, it is not a matter of years. It, it's you know, life goes by really, really fast. It you know, does. Old age is not down the road. Old age is not on the road that intersect is this right there at the tip of your fingers and right at the edge of your nose and so i got to make those preparations um but in my particular family there's a total of eight boys and three girls same mom same dad we have a large family because in them days basically parents grew their own help the more children you have the more helpers you have and so we all individually have our own individual traits, our own individual skills. And um, by that, we are given assignment and we're nurtured in that particular role. And that's something that is really, really important. I remember my oldest brother, basically, uh, his was to learn and become a practitioner. Others are basically understanding as to, you know, how to create a home. In, in our particular home setting, it's, it's in the tradition, you know, people call it traditional today um, and people say that's traditional to, to us it's not traditional it's just a way of life so the way that our household is set up if you are to go to blue gap basically for my uh, mother and her um, you know the roots are on the north side of our home we have a sweat lodge and then in the middle we have our hogan east of that is where the ash pit is to the south of that is where the shade house is. To the west of the home is where the corrals are. And basically those are some of the, uh, you know, those are the templates as to how our individual households are set. Uh, there are reasons as to why they are set in that fashion. Um, you know, there's a reason why the, the sweat lodge is on the north side and where the ash pit is and, and, and then also the shade house. Um, so, and then why the doorway is uh, facing the east and um, why we live in Hogan. So there's a, there's a whole concept behind that as well. But having, having said that, um, you know, my mom and dad, um, they were in a arranged marriage. My, my mom was younger than my dad. Uh, there was no, no wedding party for them. There were no gifts. They did not even receive a spoon or a cup. 
but they were rich with uh, they were enriched with instruction to expand, and their charge was expand the clan. And perhaps that's why we have a such a large family. But in all my years, in all my 62 years, Dad has been gone for about 12 years now. But during those times that I had seen and witnessed, and I have yet to recollect my parents ever exchanging a birthday gift, an anniversary gift, a Christmas gift, a Valentine's gift. There were no gifts that were exchanged between the two as mom and dad, as husband and wife. There were no boxes of chocolate, not even a bouquet of roses. They never even went out to dinner. And um, it, But that never discounted their particular union as husband and wife. Mm. And um, today, uh, individuals may say that you didn't remember my birthday. You didn't remember our anniversary. What are you doing? I have you know, a nice uh, supper cooked, and here you are. You're not home. And people could be chastised by that. But my mom and dad, they never, ever um had that particular experience because we never had it. It was just something that was not part of our particular, it was not on our compass as well. Yeah. But as roles as a parent, you know, as mom and dad, uh, as um, grandparents, our upbringing was different than Main Street America. There is no text for the way Native communities are raised and their particular children. It takes a village to raise a native child. It takes, a, it takes a Pueblo, it takes a sheep camp to raise an individual child because collectively, you know, that individual child is going to be the window or the representation or the mirror of how we're raising our young ones. And my dad never played catch. We never, you know, he never tossed a football ever to me. Um, and then we grew up without the many comforts of life. So I, I grew up in a time when, you know, as a child, we hauled water on a wagon. And then, you know, I, I remember um, when I was about six years old, the first time I brought in the horse all by myself. And, um, you know, I got a chance to sit at the uh, the head of the, uh, the cloth where the breakfast was being served. And, and my mom, I remember her saying, you know, we have a man in the house. I want to recognize that. You know, he brought home a horse. You know, he went out there, he tracked it down, and then, um, you know, he took off the hobbles, and then he um, put the nose around and uh, uh, put the rope around the neck and the nose of the horse, and he rode back horseback uh, on, on bareback. And so we now have a man. At six years old, my mom was giving me those accolades, and my dad was just smiling and beaming. <laughs> and I remember that particular day. That made up for all the catches that I never, ever had. And, um, and and so that made up for those particular times of because I had a chance to uh, give and show my dad that his teachings mm. basically um, anchored and found root in my being. But growing up, uh, you know, we grew up herding sheep. We grew up hoeing and harvesting our own food, chopping wood. If you wanted to uh, have some supper or some breakfast, you wanted a meal, then basically your contribution is chopping wood, building a fire, helping, you know, helping mom make bread and 
bringing in the water and different things of that nature. And so it was always uh, interesting in that sense that everything had a particular somewhat of a small ceremony. So I remember when we were dipping um, dipping out water from the water pail, and we had a gourd, and we would give it to the ground first, and then uh, we would say a little prayer, and then we would drink with that. So people today may think that that is uh, somewhat of a religious upbringing or a traditional upbringing, but that was just the way of life uh, that we were experiencing. I so all the particular stories, yes, uh, those are some of the concepts that that, that that is missing in our individual families, is, is that, um, that our individual task and choice is to prepare for what is next. It could be the next season or how we contribute to the community or the clan. And um, again, as I mentioned, that is what people call traditional life. You know, we slip on a, uh, you know, today you have uh, sheep skins, and then also you have your numbers, uh, sleep numbers that you sleep on as far as the mattress is concerned. <laughs> we had sheep skins. Yep. Oh, man, that smelled really, really good. Kind of smelled like the sheep pen. And there's nothing like having your own sheep pelt that you sleep on. Then you got to get up early in the morning and then air it out. And then, um, you know, get your shoes on and your moccasin on and, and go out and do your offerings and do your prayers. And then you would go after the horse and you would begin to herd sheep. It was just clockwork. It was just life. All the families that resided around us, they had a similar experience. And so as a man, what, what was it like, you know, was this the teaching of a man? As I had mentioned, you know, you, you were always given accolades and um, acknowledgement. So if you were a sheep herder, um, basically uh, we, we ate out of one pan, one bowl. But if you were uh, the one that was out there tending to the flock, um, basically when, when it came time for you to come home, you had your own special dish. And something was prepared special for you because of your role and your responsibility. And so that was what people probably call off-rent conditioning today. Basically, going out there, you do good work, wonderful work, and you're rewarded as such. But herding sheep, basically, uh, you could be compensated and you could be um, rewarded by having a lamb in the spring season. And I remember, you know, Grandma would say, you know, go ahead and what is your earmark going to be? Go put an earmark on that little lamb because that little lamb is now yours. So now when you go after the sheep, basically, it's not the family investment. It's your investment. Therefore, you know, you perk up your ears a little bit more. You don't play around as much as you did. Now you have a responsibility because now that investment, you are fully invested, invested into the family stock. And uh, that that's something that is important. So our particular instruction... I love that. Yeah, so as an investment. Yeah, those are are really, really good. And as I have mentioned, this is not textbook material of Main Street America. This is this, um, you know, moccasins on the ground. And children weren't children. They they were individual contributors as a child, um, as an adolescent. You know, you, you were not considered a child. You were considered an individual with a responsibility and that you had to fulfill it because the instruction was you're not always going to be young. You're going to have your own family one day. 
and you're going to have to learn how to provide for them. So your upbringing, my particular upbringing, was one long session of how to sustain a family, how to make a living, how to survive. And these instructions and teachings are still fresh in my mind as they were uh, presented the day that it was transferred over to me. I remember my first prayer, the first prayer that my mother gave me. And that prayer came about because I was coming home, I lost a sheep, and I had uh, fear in my soul, and I was kind of, you know, wiping my tears, and my mom knew, because mom always knows how you feel. No, you don't have to tell her anything. She knows. And um, I came came home, and she says, you don't need to fear the darkness. And so she said, this is the prayer. And basically what that means, the darkness of the night, my grandparents, keep me near the warmth of your armpit. Keep me embraced. And um, it was always there, you know. There, there was always a prayer for everything. There was uh, there was some significant meaning. If you've seen an owl, it was a messenger. If you've seen a coyote, it was something. So you halted and, um, and, and give it respect and begin to ask questions. And so in, in the offering of prayers, it was instilled in us as children, as young people, and um, it, it anchored with us because we were instructed that it's as you communicate and say those offerings and give up those petition, uh, petitions of, of prayer, the holy people will recognize you and they will say, there is my son communicating with me, speaking with me, talking with me, and giving me a report. And uh, those instructions were reinforced by our grandparents. And they weren't ne- not necessarily instructions, instructions in a sense, nor are our stories in a sense of fairy tales, but they are educational and they are, uh, they have historic meanings. And so in this COVID-19 session, they're going to say that this is the time when the big cough came about and people are going to hallmark that. And that's something that's going to be there. But our grandparents also showed by example, oh my goodness, their prayers were long. You know, it's it's not one of these trips that you have with your children, basically saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, the prayer is not there yet till they say it's over. And you have to stand there and give it reverence. And so I remember them telling me, look to the east. Make your offerings to the east. And then greet the morning sun. And, um, and then I remember turning around. And they were saying, if you turn around, look at your long shadow. As you turn around from the east, that is your prayer. That is how long your prayer should be. And that's something that is important because it gives you an idea as to you're not only praying for that particular moment, but you're praying for the days to come, that your days may be long. And uh, those were the instructions of, of grandparents. And it seemed to me that um, they were talking to the deities. They were there in that physical presence. And I, I bet if I opened my eyes and or if I looked up, I could see them delivering corn pollen to the holy people. That's how connected they were. 
And um, I want to carry on that same example. So now that I have grandchildren, my grandson, my granddaughter, my children, we all do our morning uh, petitions. Um, we do it in the evening as well. I want them to know that if their parents are not there, if their grandparents are not there, the holy people will be there. And that the deities as, as to who they should turn to in good times and challenging times. And we as elders, we need to reroot our family and our clan teachings of tradition and culture. It's not textbook learning, but it's embedded in the life experiences that we have. Life is too short to bypass these opportunities of teaching. And so that, that's the drive that I have. I want my grandchildren to know that. I want them to say, as I do, I remember standing with my grandfather and making offerings and making prayer. I want him to say, I planted with him. I harvested him. And um, I want him to say, these are some of the teachings that I have. And the song that I have, the first song that I remember that I ever, ever um, was rooted in me was uh, um, was the song of the long walk. And it goes, She ain't my she ain't and basically, this is the song that was sung by our particular, um, you know, progenitors as they were coming home from Fort Sumner over 150 years ago. They were coming home, tethered and warm, hungry, abused, violated in any fashion and every fashion uh, imaginable. They were walking home and they were jubilant because they seen Mount Taylor. They seen one of their holy mountains. They knew that they were going to come home. And um, they, they, they came home and they were jubilant. You know, when you're worn, when you're tired, and those many individual family members that are living off uh, from their family land or their ancestral land, when they're coming home, there's that little spirit that you feel. Um, once you cross that particular line, the imaginary line that's there, once you cross it, you know you're home and it embraces you. And maybe the holy people are saying, there is my son coming home. Maybe Mother Earth is saying that. So that kind of beams in you. And those are the examples of, of, of the deities that we have. And I remember those. You know, you always have a prayer in your heart. I, I remember my grandparents saying that. So so now I, I'd like to transition and I want to share instructions to to the fathers that are out there. Please, please. Fathers please. are fundamental in the plan of happiness. And I want to raise voice of encouragement to those who are striving to fulfill that particular calling. I want to praise and I want to encourage fatherhood. And Father is nothing to be ashamed of or to be discounted. I know that there are individuals that are out there. Parents will say that, um, you know, you impregnated my daughter and 
I envision my daughter having this particular lifestyle, but now she is with child. And what must it be like for a father to hear that, that she discounted the daughter's value? They did not include the investment of a child, of a clan member being expanded, of a five-finger member being added to the family circle. And today, we have many fathers that are out there. You know, this is not of the, uh, you know, the, the greatest or the highest masculine roles as may be displayed or showcased by mainstream America. But as husbands and fathers, there is a calling. Anybody could be a father, but it takes a special person to be a daddy. And as Native people, we believe in fathers. We believe in the ideal of a man who puts family first. We believe that that is designed by the holy people. Fathers are to watch over their families in love, in righteousness, and the responsibility to provide necessities of life and to protect our families. We believe those that are some of the, the family uh, values, the duties of a father and a mother is to obligate one another and to help each other as parents. We believe that far from being unnecessary, fathers are unique and they're irreplaceable. And I look at my father, you know, if, if I were to grade him at that particular time, you know, I probably gave him a low grade. But as I got older, and I understood a little bit more about what being a father is. Oh, he was a pastor. He was an example. I hold him in high regard for that. And he is irreplaceable. And so in his particular absence, I do know that one day I will see him again. In Navajo, there is no such thing as death, only a change of world. You take a look at some of the concepts that we do have. And basically, when somebody leaves and they'll say, where did that person go? Somebody will reply, he went over the hill. Or he went back. They would not say that life is terminated, but he continued on into the next life. There are many fathers that are out there. They are good in the social terms. And then there are many out there that feel it is an obligation that we have to fulfill to our offspring. But we need to understand that this is a maternal investment. We need to invest in our children. With the paternal investment in children, you know, our nation is going to be strong. In short, you know, the key thing for men is to be fathers. The key thing for children is to have fathers. The key for society is to create fathers. These are the considerations that have been given to us from Earth Maker from day one. You know, we are children of white shell women. You take a look at the tip of your fingers. Those white shells that are at the tip of your fingers, they represent white shell women. We call them fingernails. And if you flip over your hand, you'll see the spirals at the tip of your fingers. And people will say, 
that is your fingerprint. No, it's not really a fingerprint. It is the sign of where we go after this life is over. Where we go is, is that we journey on with our whirlwind horse. Our whirlwind horse will take us and we will become breezes. We will become the wind. We will become part of this earth and our bodies will become the soil of Mother Earth again. And our spirits will continue. And we will be journeying on with our holy people and our deities. So the role of fathers is made and it is set aside by Earthmaker. It is of Earthmaker's journey and origin. So today we, we have many fathers that are out there. And many of us as fathers, you know, it exposes us to our weakness. And we need to become aware. There is nothing wrong in improving. Being a better father today than yesterday, that's our only charge. It's not the investment or the inheritance or the good things of life that we're going to leave our children. Because the teachings that they have, perseverance, is the role of father. The role of the father is the gatekeeper. And that's something that can money cannot buy. It cannot even be comparable to the satisfaction or even the joy that will be there. You, you can't explain it. When I see my grandson coming to me and call me Che and squeeze me and ask me, how can I help you? Oh, that delights my heart. And... Um, my children, likewise, are the same as well, and uh, they have aspirations. I have three daughters. I don't have a son. Earthmaker gave me three girls, three women, three mothers. Their charge is to bring me sons. And um, their particular marriage is pretty much the same as um, the way that I had explained to, about my mom. And... Um, when I had two young men come to me and ask me for the hand of my daughters and saying that I would like to take the wife, your daughter. And, um, you know, I was somewhat taken because they were helping me around the house, you know, all of a sudden these, you know, they show up and they say, Hey, we're here to help you. What do you want us to do? You know, nobody's going to do that. But they sat down and says, you know, the real reason that I came is I, I want to marry your daughter. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. But what I'll do is, is that I know who the decision makers are. They're the matriarchs. They're the matriarchs of the Twitch eat me and toughness love me. You bring your relatives. I will bring relatives of my children. And you will have your presentation and your particular clan, your particular people are going to make that pitch to my, my side of the family. As a gatekeeper, that is the only thing that I could do is open that gate for you. It's going to be up to them. So in light of that, that is how they got married, just like my grandparents, just like my mom and dad, just like me. They carried it on. So it's not uh, one of these notions of, here, I got a promise ring, I'm engaged, this is my fiancé. No, 
it isn't like that because it's not textbook. So those areas that are still there, those are just traditions that we do have. We do understand that um, I have been blessed with having a wonderful dad. I had the opportunity and still have this opportunity of 62 winters to be a child of my mother. They always showed me love. They always, always did. So my dad not showering um, gifts with my mom, what he did was he respected us as children. And that was the greatest, the greatest gift that he could give and honor my mom as to how he took care of us. My mom would do the same thing to my dad. How well we were taken care of is an example as to how they showed gratitude to one another. Their particular love was showcased as to how we were instructed, how we were raised. This reaffirms and strengthens the marriage, and it is the foundation of family. It is the security of family. Some men are single fathers. I understand that. And then other fathers step up, become foster fathers, and take in children. Or they become stepfathers, and they accept other children as their own. Many of them strive mightily to do their very best in an often difficult role. But I want to give honor to those that do all that they can in love, a your ornament, in patience, and then the sacrifice, the individual that is there is the family needs. They will fulfill that. And there are areas that I do understand. There is death or the passing and individuals go into the next world. Some individuals abandon their families. Some individuals divorce. Some children don't have fathers living with them. Some may have fathers who are physically present but emotionally absent. Some other ways, they're inattentive and they're non-supportive. As a father, and I know my dad would be first to say, you know, be a better dad than I was. And I want my children to be a better parent than I am. We can always add value to that because that particular rising generation that is coming to us now, you know, they will rank us. They will rank, and as I had said, I rank my father good, better, and best. And to some of those that are listening out there, you know, they will probably rank their fathers much higher as they get older, as they get wiser. And it's important for them to understand that we all honor our patriarchs, our matriarchs by how we live our life. That is something that is really, really vital. And that's something that's really important for us to understand because that is rerouting our traditional teaching. 
and that is how we live. I do, I do understand that we live in a different world today. And those particular unions as husband and wife differ today than they did in the days of my childhood. Differ than the instructions that I was given. But I do not have the authority to have judgment on those individuals. I have to embrace them because some of our relatives, our relations are basically two-spirited. If there's anything that we could do and that we could all agree on, and the common denominator as the Five Finger Clan is, is that we should respect one another. I understand that. And I embrace that and I tell my children that as well. The two-spirited, they are part of the Five Finger Clan. They are no less than individuals who basically identify themselves as male or female, as husband and wife, as unions that are out there. So those are some of the, the, the concepts that I have. And I understand that um, there are some you know, ideas that may be floating around out there. And um, some of those ideas that we do have, you know, I grew up in a dormitory. I grew up in the, in the generation where your mouth was, wiped, uh, was washed out with lye soap. I grew up in the generation where it was not um, acceptable to practice the, um, the worship of my, uh, my matriarchs and my patriarchs. People were incarcerated by Navajo police and law enforcement, BIA police. And, and we still struggle with the Native American Freedom of Religion Act. We do not have, as the Pledge of Allegiance says, you know, justice and liberty for all. We still have to fight our way up there. Yep. And uh, those particular areas where we worship our sacred sites, our sacred offering places, basically are being disrupted, um, not only by corporations, but some of those individuals that we call family are basically fighting uh, for in the name of economic development. And, um, you know, there is no value that individuals can place on the relationship that we have with our creator. That is something that is important. In six generations, my mom has six generations. She is there. And then the youngest grandchild that is there, the great, great grandchild is a year old. Six generations on the ground of Tatnesanis, and uh, that that six generations—it's not a long time frame or a span of time. It is very, very short. And so, what is my winter's going to be? So, I got to take care of myself. I've got to be physically fit, mentally fit, spiritually fit. I've got to be doing my part. So that I may be able to greet my great-great-grandchild. And I want them to hold my hand and open the door and present me. That will be the greatest honor. And that will be the greatest reward. That will be the, you know, incomparable joy that I may have. Um, there are many, many, many experiences that are out there. But we as menfolk, we need to step up. Many of our sisters in the sisterhood of Native communities, they are the anchors. They're the ones that are keeping the families together. 
they are the ones that are sustaining our particular plan. And we, so-called warriors, have abandoned. And if we were to give an accounting to those who have passed on into the next life, and if they were to if they were able to come to us in a vision, maybe in some sort of uh, a conversation, and if they were to ask us, how are my great, 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 great grandchildren? What have you done with my teachings? Are they still alive? What have you done with my songs? Are you doing your prayers as you had done with me and as I had done with you? You know, those are accountings that we have to address. And as parents, you know, we interview our children. How are you doing? You were staying out late last night. Don't be hanging around with this person, so forth and so on. But I don't know how many parents out there, if you've ever been interviewed by your child, oh, chills go down your spine. <laughs> and that's something that is really important for us to do. You know, family life is a two-way street. We as parents do not have all the answers. We do not have all the teachings. But together, if we sit down and we petition to the higher power, then maybe there will be a beam of light that's going to give us direction. And that's something that's really important for us to do is, is that we just enjoy this particular life experience that we have. We live in this generation of COVID-19 and the virus that is out there. If we listen to instructions, the instructions that was given to me as a child, be good or do good, still anchors my soul today. And the 62 winters that I have, I still got quite a ways to catch up with my mom. And I've been very, very, very fortunate to have the matriarchal society of the Tatnasami clan and Blue Gap, they're still there. I have been very fortunate. And um, those generations that are there, the clan that's been there have been there forever. And the mountains know us. We know the mountain names. We know the history of our particular region. We are not migratory people or nomads and basically traveling this particular world. We have home. We have our roots. And um, with my biblical cord being buried in Blue Gap, my granddaughter, my grandkids, my children, they're buried. Their biblical cords are buried here. And um, that is all that I have in regards of being an uncle, being a che, being a dad, being a brother, being a companion, being an individual in this particular world. What I want to share is that in this particular time, you know, how many of us have gone high into the mountaintops to call forth the rains and other good things with our white shell, turquoise, abalone, and jet? Have we cast those into the streams to call forth? the rains and other good things for the survival of our people. I'm not saying my clan, I'm not saying my tribe, but our people, because our children are so diverse. You know, I have African-American, I have Mexican, 
I have uh, basically the Lagana. I, I, I have Pueblos. Uh, we are just so blended. And we have to accept their particular method of, uh, you know, their teachings on the other side. Navajo doesn't have all the answers. But collectively, we can come up with those answers and we can support one another and um, live on into the next millennium because we still speak Navajo. We spoke Navajo ever since the rocks were soft. Earl, I am like, there's so much to harvest in what you have shared in this time. Just so much. I <laughs> I can stop taking notes, but I'm just in awe with, I love the fact that you really sort of shared about this is this the way of life, not necessarily naming it as traditional. That was really clear. And, you know, it was a matter of like discipline and and even like you had mentioned about the grounding, um, about ceremony of like water and, you know, it seemed that way, but really what it was is sort of this practice of pro protocol of grounding and being humble and, and being gra grateful and having gratitude. And I mean, you talked a little bit about roles and purposes the minute you come into this place and, you know, the relationships and eh, that we have at, as soon as we come into this world and continuing on uh it just even comparison of like how um the way of life is and it still is but how much has changed so much in really understanding basic needs and and looking at what is it that we really need and the whole role about obligations and oh my favorite is just you talking about investments as people and relationships and that is what wealth is, you know, how we define wealth is through the relationships and how much you show up as a mother, a father, a child, and that we all have a role and we all have a purpose. And if we acknowledge that and we practice those things, uh, the, the return later is just so much more beautiful. And I just love how you ended about telling us about your family and that, you know, not one culture has all the answers. And I completely agree with you. The word that came to my mind as you said that, I was like, it's a collective medicine from all the different places and um, traditions in terms of way of life of how um, each of us represent and come together. And like I said, there's so much to mind here. You could probably do a course. <laughs> So I'm just in awe, and I just appreciate you uh, messaging about the role of fathers and how fathers can really just really take that role in honor and and how can be how can I be better you know even for the mothers how can I be better you know I'm doing this what can I do to be better and um, yeah I don't know if I want to do an assessment with my child of how am I doing <laughs> that will be yeah I would get chills. Um, so anyway, I'm just trying to summarize. You've done, you've said so much, and I really hope that the listeners take away something, you know, something, and that I think the last thing I want to just say is that the one thing that you had mentioned early on, and it just really stuck with me uh, earlier in the, in the interview <clears throat> of you sharing your story is that, you know, we're not orphans. We're not alone, even though there may be some 
families or individuals, children, even um, people who feel they're alone, we're not alone, that you have Father Sky above you, you have Mother Earth below you, you have you have many people around you that were never really alone. And I just thought that was also really just, it was striking for me to just really see how everything is so interconnected and that we need to see from that lens and that filter and really how beautiful it is. It just makes me want to just, it, I'm actually just thinking like a, it's a blanket to all around me <laughs> as this child here. Um, so thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom, the teachings that you had the blessings from your matriarchal uh, women in your space and your father and I'm, I know some other relatives and people that have um, really helped you to be the father that you are and the grandfather that you are. So I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And any last thoughts before we say good evening? If one of the areas that I would like to share is, is that these stories that I've shared with you I've listened, I've heard, I've witnessed. It was exposed to me. And basically, there's this file and catalog in my particular mind. Um, what is the meaning of life? You know, why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Those are some of the concepts that do come to mind. And it's important for us to do is that we as elders, our responsibility is to have a herd. We need to have a herd of protégés. We need to have uh, apprentices. We need to have students. And, um, and, and, and for me, I welcome everybody, uh, basically, who may want to learn. If a person, if the only word that the person who has Navajo in their blood the meh in their blood. If they only can say yes, eh, man, that means that means a lot. And that's not really a greeting in a sense of saying hello. But if you really dissect the word, what does yes, eh, mean? In my particular teaching, my teacher is 97 years old, and she told me. Yes, it means, yeah means the sky. It, it means that's what it is. That means you're still in this world. You're still in this world. And you still have other worlds to journey to. So that's what yes, it means. And um, some of these other concepts that we do have, there are people out there that basically will say that you can only tell those stories in the winter. Well, I'm a grandparent now. I have that particular role of being in that seat of being a grandparent. And I told my kids and I told my grandkids, whatever you want to say while I'm alert, because I may not be here in the next season. While I'm here, you ask me questions and I will answer them for you. Because we live in this particular time, in this particular age where we have a lot of technology taking pictures, Snapchatting, doing Facebook, and, and doing all of that is good. But what we can do a little bit more 
is begin to tell our children, where did they come from? How are we tied to the long walk? Which one of our clan members was there? I'm first generation girl too. I'm first generation Thule. My particular Thule name came about when my parent, when my dad entered into the military. My dad and his brother basically entered into the military in 1940. And basically, when they entered the military, they were given a name, Willie Tooley, and then William Tooley. And so my dad was Willie Tooley. William Tooley, according to the um, United States Marine Corps, they said, your, two, your names are too much alike, and you're both entering the Marine Corps. So what we're going to call you is your name is going to be Willie Tooley Brown. That is the individual that is in that vehicle. He has always been my dad, and um, he was always he has always greeted us in that fashion. So I'm first generation Thule. Where they got Earl Thule from? It wasn't it wasn't my birth name. I, I just got it somewhere along the line because you have your Navajo name, and then they said we can't spell your Navajo name, and how they can't do that with 26 letters in the alphabet, I don't know. They couldn't spell, say, Jenny or Adekabitsi. They couldn't spell it. And um, what has happened with that is, is that they gave us census numbers. And then when you started going to school and you started to enroll, we enrolled into school. They said, we, we don't need your Navajo name. We don't need your census number. We're going to have to give you a name. And I, I really don't know where Earl Tooley came from. And um, but I'm first generation. But I do understand where the matriarch of Tatnesani is. And I know that particular lineage. And so it's important for us as, as grandparents and as elders as, to share our particular story, to write our particular story, to get an audience with whoever is going to listen. And um, I share my story freely wherever I go. And I try to document it as much as possible. And um, some of the practitioners that I have that are um, basically herbalists and chanters at Trunky, and um, I let them know. I, I let them know that I'm telling a story. And if you do hear that story in the wrong season, you know, if it really, really rains and it really, really snows heavy, hey, that was me that brought the heavy snow and the heavy rain. You can be thankful for that. So that's what happens. And I think that that's something that is important that is out there is, is, is that we share our particular story. You know, how did mom and dad get together? You know, are we going to say that mom and dad got together at the Aces Wild chapter house dance? <laughs> or is it going to be mom and dad were brought together and it was the clan relatives? that brought them together. There was an agreement. There was a contract that was made. And that's something that is important. And I, as a father, I can wholeheartedly tell my children, this is who was there when you were born. And I can tell my grandchildren, this is where I was. That little baby that I'm holding, that was the day after she was born. I went back to her. And so as a chase, 
I have a responsibility. And you, as a, um, as Hanarahis or your chase, I think from what I understood, you're my granddaughter. Being a granddaughter, you have all the privileges to the stories that I have. Yay. I'm really like just honored. I am. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take you up on that because I feel like there's still so much I need to learn. I think I'm in the fall season, so I have time. And I and you have young young Chase here, my my children. So I'll let them know. And I appreciate that last nugget to our listeners about creating this sort of herd of students and you know passing this knowledge down and what you do know and to go back to the way of life. So thank you so much, Earl. I appreciate it. And thank you. We may have to bring you back. <laughs> so have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm going to do it.